we've been spending some extra time. We took a little bit of a detour from our regularly scheduled uh, jaunt through Deuteronomy in order to look a little bit closer at some of the specific laws in Deuteronomy. These are passages that uh, I haven't studied in particular depth, and my guess is you probably haven't either, and yet here they are in the Bible, and far from being uh, worthless or irrelevant to our daily life, actually you can find out quite a bit about who God is, and that's the same God we worship, the same God that we try to reflect to the world, and so we've been learning quite a bit. Uh, we've looked at his justice and his love as reflected through certain passages uh, in the law, and this morning we're going to be looking uh, at his life or his uh, penchant, his desire for life, his creation of life as it's expressed through his law here in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy specifically. Uh, there's certain places we could go, like thou shalt not murder, you know, it tells us about life, or a less commonly known one. Uh, it was close to where we were last week. Uh, it says you're supposed to build a parapet around the roof of your house. Uh, that's like a, like a wall. The roof of your house was, was treated as another floor that you'd use for hosting people, or it could even be like a room. Um, but in order to prevent accidental deaths, go ahead and build a little wall around it so no one accidentally falls. That, that demonstrates God's desire for there to be life. Uh, but my thought is that I, I think we know what life is, right? It's like, well, it's every day, you know? It's like we're like living, breathing, right? Doing, you know, that, like this is life. It's everything that we have. But I also think that perhaps our understanding and our idea of life is different than what God's idea and design, desire for life is. And I think that's reflected in perhaps passages that are a little more unexpected, and that's where we're going today. Um, we're going to go to the passage that you probably least likely expect to find God's desire for life. We're going to read the chapter all about uh, how the Israelites were supposed to go to war. <laughs> uh, it's, ch- it's chapter 20. Uh, but before we, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 20 verses. But before we jump in, I just want to ask that we'd be able to hear God through his word this morning. So Lord, I pray that you'd be present in this word. I pray that um, whether it's through the things that I'm saying or how you and your spirit are ministering to each of the hearts that are present here today or online, uh, I pray that you would communicate to them uh, who you are and that we might be able to know you better. So be with us. May we hear your word, your living word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Chapter 20 of Deuteronomy. My guess is you haven't studied this too well, uh, but it's, it's fantastic. It's rich. Listen as we go and try to hear who is God to the Israelites. All right, I'm reading through the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll go through it together. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officer shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else may begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Then the officers shall add, Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home, go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. 
If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, they siege to the city. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, put to the sword all the men in it. As for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves. And you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them because you can eat their fruit. Do not cut them down. Are the trees people that you should besiege them? However, you may cut down trees that you know are not fruit trees and use them to build siege works until the city at war with you falls. Okay? And that is God's desire for life. What? Right? I mean, the, the massive question uh, that we are not going to get into is why is God even using war in the first place? Right? I mean, there's uh, tremendous violence, and, and people have used passages like these to justify military campaigns saying, well, God wants me to destroy you completely, so off I go. Right? Um, man, there is so many different ways we can look at that, but I just want to remind you that the law that, that is here in Deuteronomy is not an idealized version of what God wants the world to be. It's how do you Israelites in your current state reflect God's character to the world. Even last week, when we were looking at God's love, it was within the context of poverty and within the context of slavery, which God's character opposes both of those things. And yet those things exist. Therefore, here's how you will act within these certain broken areas of society in order to reflect God's love to these people. Same way here, God has chosen to use war as his instrument to provide justice through judgment on the people uh, that are currently living there. Those are the people that he names that they're supposed to completely destroy. And also it's, it's his vehicle for providing blessing in terms of grace to the Israelites by saying, this will be your land, I want to give this to you. Uh, we can go a lot further, uh, but what I want to focus on is what are those areas that we see uh, God's desire for life even while they're going to be engaging in war. Um, you see several things. Uh, probably you know, like the, uh, you, you can get out of war, right? So there's all sorts of these, like, you know, accepted excuses, you know, if you want to go back home. Uh, there's that, that offer of peace before you just, you know, besiege a city. And then uh, there's this kind of mercy of not fighting the trees when you're fighting the city, right? Uh, th those are three things that stand out to me. But if, we look, if you look at how the whole thing is encased, the, the main point of this entire chapter is that this is God going to war, not the Israelites, right? It's God's war. Like, who gives the pep talk to the army? The priest. Yeah, like, what do you know about swinging a sword, right? You know, I was like, well, no, it's because it's not you that's going to go fighting. The, the, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? Like, like, this is going to be God leading you, so therefore, you don't have to be afraid, you trust him. This is almost an invitation. God's saying, here's how I will work. You participate with me. You're going to have to do it a certain way that's going to reflect my character. But there's no room for fear, right? Like even, even the, if you're afraid, just leave because there's no room for any of us to be afraid. We trust God and therefore we're going to go forward courageously. Now that's the overarching theme is that this is all God's doing and the people are being invited to participate with him in this. 
And now we can start looking uh, maybe at these individual details that I think reveals more of God's character. In particular, the first one we come to is those three excuses about, uh, hey, if you've got anything to do at home, why don't you just go do that, right? Like, it, okay, and it says, it says at the very beginning, right, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid. I mean, talk about putting your trust in the Lord. It's like, all right, anyone who doesn't want to be here, go. Is anyone working on any house projects right now? Go ahead and leave. All right, does anyone have, you know, like anyone gardening and they haven't harvested, go ahead and go back. You know, it's like, if you've got any sort of like honeydew list, right? It's like, oh, well, my wife wanted me to remodel the bathroom, so I probably should, maybe next year, you know? Like, Sounds good. We'll see you later, Brad. You're like, yes, right? Like, that, that, that's what it seems like, right? Which, which I mean, absolute ultimate trust in God, right? If, if here's an army greater than yours and you have no problem, in fact, you mandate that you would let people leave for, I don't know, seem, seemingly pretty low, non-important reasons, right? That's, that should be looked at, right? Because what this is indicating is that this war, this, this army, I don't, I don't know how it's set up. It doesn't say whether or not it's, uh, you know, some, some part of land that God's just wanting them to attack or if it's just uh, some battle that they feel they have to come. Who knows how the scenario got set up, but the army's bigger than them, and yet uh, we don't need everyone, right? This is a different mentality. Wartime mentality says, all right, everyone, like, quit your jobs and support the war. Like, this needs all hands on deck here. And yet what we see mandated for how the Israelites go to war is that there's like a, all right, not you, not you, not you. It's like something else is more important than the war. How, how can something else be more important than the war? Here's, here's how I envision it. We live in an absolutely gorgeous state, there's mountains all over the place and, and, and the different mountains in different places. Like, uh, you know, when I first moved here, you know, you can see the mountains, the mountains uh, right next to Denver. And so you drive into the mountains, but you're just like going into like one little, you know, mountain range. You, you can go past those. You can go down south and go. I mean, there's so much to explore in the state. It's so fun, right? I mean, how many of you have gone up into the mountains just to enjoy the beauty, right? Like, like whether you're skiing or the summer and you're hiking or you're getting a VRBO or you're going to Glenwood Springs or Steamboat Springs or Pagosa Springs or wherever you want to go, there's so many different options. I, I really enjoy driving into the mountains. You know, when we, when we um, invite Sherry's family and they come stay with us, it's like, well, one day we've got to at least drive into them. You know, it's like, I don't know if we'll go, I don't know how far we'll go, but we've, you've got to at least just be like, ah, you know, like at least in that front range, you know? One of my favorite things to do when driving in the mountains is going up some of those passes where you can like look and you can see, I don't know, feels like a hundred miles, you know, and, and just the majestic mountains, you know, and you look down and just trees dotted, you know, and go in the fall, right? And the aspens are all changing colors and kind of like glittering in the, in the wind, you know, and then you get to the top and you just look the other way and there's more mountains and more valleys. It's just gorgeous. Uh, it's gotten to the point where uh, as, as I drive, uh, Sherry's very concerned because I really am enjoying the beauty and, and passes are known for being a little windy, right? And I might not make it, but I think I've trained her where she'll just take the wheel and I can just enjoy it, you know? And so, so I think we've got something that works out. <laughs> but here's, here's what happens. Every time, every time I go up one of these pass roads, there's always that construction truck in front of you right? Or you, you, you come up to, to the car, right? Or it's, it's, it's the, the Subaru that's towing a boat or something, you know, and you're just like, oh man, this, oh, come on, you know, like, you know, and, and now all of a sudden my experience completely changes, right? Because now I'm looking 
for that opportunity, right? I mean, switch back roads, you're like, ah, that's a double line. I probably can't do it. Here's a dotted, ah, someone's coming. You know, you're like looking out. Um, you're also just making sure, you know, you're, you're keeping the right amount of distance, but you know, maybe a little bit more. And, but, but I just, like, can we get around this thing? Like, uh, how long has this been? Like, why does he got, he missed the, the, the cutoff. He could have just parked and I'm gone. You know, and all of a sudden I'm stressed. You know, I'm intense. And yet my whole point for coming was to enjoy the beauty. The beauty hasn't gone anywhere. Something else just came right in front of me. Like, th- this is what happens in my life, right? Where there's something in front of me that I'm finding important, and yet I'm forgetting about the thing that's actually the reason I'm there, the most important thing, right? The thing right in front of you is not the most important thing. So just take a breather. You can still enjoy You don't have to pass this guy. In fact, what if it's actually good that you're going slow? You know, it's like it never crosses my mind. Here, here's what could happen to the Israelites. The war is in front of you. That, that is in front of you. That's going to require concentration. That, that is going to be costly, Right? We're all going to be involved, and yet that's not the most important thing. That's what God's saying. There are things that are more important, and those are the things that reflect God's character. Because what God wants to do with the Israelites, what this whole law is saying, is that in all aspects of your life, you must reflect me out to the world in everything that you do. And in one of those ways is in these excuses not to go to war. Now, not, not saying that uh, this war effort isn't important, but saying that these things, enjoying your house, your vineyard, your wife, are important. What? All right, to understand this, though, I think we've got to go back to why does this chapter even seem unexpected to us for showing God's life? You know, war is brutal, deadly, violent. There's death. We know from experience, from reading our Bibles, from who God is, that death is an enemy, right? It's, it's what he defeated on the cross. Like, death is not a part of God at all. He is a God of life. You know, someone argued me, they're like, start reading your Bible, just the first page. All it is is God creating a world where it's just teeming with life, right? You know, it starts with the, the lights, you know, and darkness, and then he's setting up all the plants and all the animals, and so the, it's, it intentionally is saying that there's just animals everywhere, sky, land, sea, everything. And then on the sixth day, he creates humanity, and he tells them, flourish, you know, go, be fruitful, multiply to the ends of the earth. Our God is a God of life. And when we'd have to say, not just a God of life, he's the God of life. You know, there's, there's no one else that creates and sustains the life around us. God is God of life. And so when we come to a war passage, we say, but that feels like an invader into God. Yes, God is the God of life. His goal and his destiny, though, is the completion of life. It's not just that things would live or that they grow, but that they would be complete. So like at, at the end of Genesis 1, you know, after that, um, oh, I haven't even turned this on yet. That's, I don't know, we've already been going like 10 minutes. Uh, so after he creates humanity on day six, it says this. This is the last uh, verse of chapter one. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day and the start of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. This is the end, the goal, the completion of life. He's made everything live. He's created humanity. And now we rest together with his creation. When God works all throughout the Bible, It's for the ultimate goal of completing life, which means rest in him. 
You know, look, look at Revelation, like our ultimate hope, right? We, we live in a world that is broken, that still has war, that still has death. One day, God will defeat all these things, and when with him we can ah, rest. There's a picture of a, of a new garden of Eden that gets restored in the new heavens and the new earth, where we get to be with God in his presence and rest in him, be secure in him. You look at the Israelites themselves in this situation. Uh, God had worked in the promised land, or worked in Egypt to take them up, right, out of slavery. And, and, and what, well, why, did he, why did he do that? He told Pharaoh, uh, so these people can worship me. And so he takes them uh, to Mount Sinai in the desert. That's where the Ten Commandments come, this really amazing, awe-inspiring, fear-inspiring, you know, fireworks show where God is, meets the people on the mountain. And yet God says, not just be in my presence, let's rest and enjoy together. And so he takes them to the promised land. And so we even have this whole book of Deuteronomy right on the, on the cusp of entering into the promised land. God's desire is for them to rest and enjoy in his presence. The pattern we see in the Bible is this, that God works so that his people can rest in and enjoy his presence. Not just live, right? Not just exist, not just breathe, not just go through the days. God has a goal, and this is his design and his desire. And everything he does when he works, it's for us to be able to rest in and enjoy his presence. Not just rest and enjoy life with him, in him. That's what the promised land is. That's where we're going with this whole law. That's how we need to understand this passage about war. You know, and, and so, you know, go back to the fourth commandment. When we go through the Ten Commandments, that there was a command to, to honor the Sabbath. Why? Well, because of what God had done through, through saving them out of Egypt. In fact, God himself Sabbath after he created the world. And so we take one day of the week to remind ourselves this is God's goal. This is where he's taking us. Yes, you have to work. Yes, this world is not perfect. But remember, this is the goal. This is the completion that God is taking us to. We must reflect that in our everyday life. So when you go to war, which isn't an ideal thing, we should take steps to reflect God's ultimate desire that we would rest and enjoy his presence. For example, if you've built a house, you've worked on that house in the promised land, but you've not had an opportunity to enjoy it, you know what, this war's not for you. You know, so you'll, go, you'll be a part of other wars, but God wants you to rest and enjoy in his presence. Go, go, go back to your house and enjoy that. That's, that's what this is saying, right? Like the whole, the whole war itself, Remember, who, whose was this? Was this Israel's war? Right? Are, are they the ones that are trying to gain more things for themselves? We don't have enough. Like, let's get more wealth. Let's go rob these other cities. No, from the very start, this is God. It's his war. He's the one winning battles and providing for them in order that they might rest and enjoy his presence. We read this, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. It's God's battle. God is creating a space where you can rest and enjoy him. And so he's using the war in order to do that. So if you aren't resting and enjoying him right now, don't, don't, don't go to war. The whole war, the whole point of following this truck, right, is to get into the nature. So just enjoy the nature on the way. Like don't, don't cut yourself out from just following so hard at winning these battles. Rest, enjoy, right? You planted a vineyard, you haven't 
you know, harvested it yet? You haven't been able to enjoy it? Well, that's the reason we're going to war anyway. So enjoy that. Enjoy that. And then you'll be able to come and help other people. It's, it's, there's something more important than this war, than this battle that's right in front of you. Same thing if you're engaged to a woman, but you haven't married her. Well, go marry her. There's another place. I think it's chapter 24. It says you get a year off. You don't do any military service for a year if you're a newlywed. Okay, now you can go back in. Why? Because God's ultimate goal is for us to rest in and enjoy his presence. And therefore, we have to take action that demonstrates that. That we actually rest in and enjoy his presence. Even as it's not complete yet. When we went through the blessings and the curses of chapter 28, I don't know if you read them. It's, uh, oh, it's an interesting chapter, right? Uh, it, it talks about how God will bless and give them all sorts of things in the promised land if they are to follow him, if they obey him. Uh, that's how, how big it is on my page if I had a Bible about this big. But the curses go like three columns, Right? And, and these are all the things that are going to happen if you choose not to obey God, right? If, if, if the, like, this describes God's desire, right? His will, his desire for life. This describes the enemy, like if God steps away and we don't get to be able to experience the life that God wants. One of the descriptions actually talks about the, each of these three examples of a house, a vineyard, and a wife. It says this, you will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and rape her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for the coarse language, but if you recall, Deuteronomy 28 is meant to be not so gentle. It's meant to be abrasive. But these are the curses of the people, right? If, if God's presence is separated, then you will not be able to enjoy your house, your vine, your spouse. And so God's saying, no, no, no. If, if I want you to rest and enjoy life. So we, I'm, I'm not gonna give you even the option to participate in this, you know, perhaps costly thing and give you the opportunity to, to, to not experience what I'm going for, for you to be as one cursed as if you're not following me. And so that's where these exclusions come from. And, and, and so you can see through the, through the whole aspect of this chapter, it's regular war, but he, he doesn't even really tell them how to do it or strategies. He's, he's more going through very specific things that I would argue reflect his character. You look at the next paragraph, and it talks about uh, how they're supposed to offer peace, and if they don't offer peace, then you kill all the men, and you get to take everything that's left, right? And it just feels like, oh, brutal God. Like, what, what are you saying? But I think this paragraph is saying, regardless of the response of this other city, I, God, God, I will bless you. Because the war itself is meant to provide a space where you can rest and enjoy my presence. This will be a gift for me to you, a blessing. It even says that. It's how it's, how it's put. It says, and you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. God isn't trying to set up a, a militaristic community, right, or, you know, some... Uh, like a Mongols that just expands their empire, Alexander the Great, you know, that just tries to keep conquering and adding on to what they have. No, God is going to give you certain lands and they will be yours. Whether the people surrender or whether you have to fight them, they will either provide you with free labor or you can get all their stuff. But it's meant to be a gift from God to you. It's not something that you get to get out of your own greed or you, yeah, let's, they've got great horses. Come on, let's besiege your city. No, this is God leading you and giving you everything that you need in order to rest 
in order to enjoy his presence afterwards. And he even got the, the trees, the fruit trees at the end, you know, which feels like, okay, uh, oh, that, one's, that one's fruit. You know, like, oh, I don't know, is it a pine cone of fruit? You know, you're like, well, technically, you know, like you can imagine the kind of conversations they have about this, right? But the concept is simple, right? If God wants to see uh, life to its completion, you know, a tree that has fruit, you cut it down, well, the, the, the completion of that would be uh, that someone would be able to enjoy that fruit, right? That, there, that there'd be uh, rest and the plants were created in order to support this life. But more than that, you know, he says, are the trees people that you should besiege them? You know, he said, why are you fighting the trees, right? Like the, the war isn't against the trees. There, there's no total war here where, you know, like I will completely destroy. No, no, no. This is the land God is giving you to enjoy and rest, why would you destroy the blessings along the way, right? Because once you defeat that city, you get to eat the fruit. So don't, don't, don't destroy the gift that God is trying to give you to enjoy in your blind pursuit of the thing that's in front of you. See, now, now it's starting to get a little closer to, to maybe my life, right? Like how many, how many times have you heard of uh, people that are so dedicated to their jobs and they do a really good job, they get promoted, they, they, they get really wealthy, and that they lose their families, right? You know, it's like they've taken advantage of the fact that maybe their, their spouse is at home or keeping the home or watching the kids, and they just don't have any time for the home, the, the spouse, the kids. And so by the time they're at a retirement age where they can actually sit back and enjoy what God has given them and all their work, there's no one to enjoy it with. They've chopped down the fruit trees in the pursuit of taking the city. I think this is a warning to all of us. Yes, there are things in front of you. There are big things, important things in front of you that you do have to do. The, the Israelites were going to have to go to war. That was a part of it. So you are going to have to go to work. <laughs> You're gonna have to take care of whatever roles and responsibilities are in your life. Yes, you have to work on your self-esteem and understanding who you are as a child of Christ. Yeah, uh, yes, you have to follow, you know, starting a brand new youth center in town. Yeah, that's a big thing. <laughs> but that's not the important thing. That's not God's will. That's not where life is going. God wants you to rest in and enjoy his presence. Don't forget the main thing because you're so focused on the thing in front of you. Because I'll say this, whatever it is that's in front of you that you're working so hard on right now is not God's will for your life. It's not. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is that's right in front of you, working hard to pursue, that's not God's will for your life. It might be a vehicle to get to God's will for your life. That might be part of the process that God is using in order to bring you to his will. But his will is for you to rest in and enjoy his presence. Therefore, along the way, we have to take care that we preserve those blessings. We enjoy, we remember, right? The Sabbath, work hard, work hard for six days. And the seventh day, take a break, right? Besiege this city. I mean, we're actually going to try to take this city, but, but care for the fruit trees. Don't preserve them, right? Like, do, do not chop those down because there's something more important than the thing right in front of you. So I just want to encourage all of us, whatever you've got going on, really important things. I'm not going to say they're not important. Just remember the things that God has blessed you with, the things that God is inviting you to pause and to rest and enjoy his presence. Make room for those things because that's like, the scenery, <laughs> the project you're working on is just like that, I don't know, dump truck in front of you, <laughs> you know? Stay behind it, absolutely enjoy. That's where God is taking you. This message uh, isn't just for the Israelites. This goes all the way forward because this is God's desire, his character for all of us, even today. Uh, and then when Jesus spoke, 
You know, he talked to a people that revered the law, studied the law, respected it, wanted to follow the law with every aspect of their lives. You know, they, 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 were, they were following the law close. If it, if it went this way, okay, we'll, we'll go this way. They re, even reinterpreting, well, the law seems like it's, you know, veering off to the right here. Okay, well, then it goes off in three inches, you know, and then we'll be over here and just super close following the law, right? Because they trusted that the law was going to take them somewhere that they needed to go. What Jesus told the people was like, you're, you, well, you're missing the point. You're not supposed to follow the law that close. The law is supposed to take you to the place of rest and enjoyment in my presence. You're missing the point of the law itself. It's like you're tailgating the dump truck, saying, well, eventually it'll take me somewhere good. It's like, no, 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 look, the good is here. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, the law's taking you there, but like the point is that you are here in my presence and you get to rest. You don't have to strain, right? And so when Jesus says these famous words, this is what he's talking about. Matthew 11, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God ultimately wants us to have rest in him, not just enjoy life, rest and enjoyment in his presence. And it's not found by us just striving and trying to be good and being good enough and putting another thing in front of us to pursue and to prove that we can get there. That's not where you find rest. You take on Jesus' yoke. See, because if we're pursuing in our own self, we are imperfect, we are flawed, we are sinful, we choose to go away from God, we're stained, we cannot actually enter into his presence. We have to be cleaned. And that's Jesus' yoke. He died on the cross to cleanse us of our sins so that we might be able to be in God's presence. We might be able to actually enter into this rest through our faith in Jesus. That's the only way. And look, that's what Jesus wants for us. Take my yoke and find rest for your souls. Let us do that in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, there's a lot of things in life that aren't perfect, uh, that don't reflect you accurately. Uh, a lot of things in life that we're required to go through um, that are not reflections of your character. I pray that you would help us see your ultimate goal for us. I pray that we would not be distracted, we would not be discouraged, we would not be disheartened, and we would not fear when we go through those moments. But Lord, that you would win the battles for us, win the victories, and remind us of the rest that you want us to have. Give us the courage to take breaks, to enjoy the blessings, the things that we thanked you for at the beginning of this sermon. We thank you for those things, for the fruit trees that you provide for us. May we not overlook those blessings or accidentally trample on or destroy those blessings in pursuit of the things that we think are most important. May you show us your ultimate goal for our life, for completion. May we see those hints of those things in our life, and may we take time to practice those. We thank you for your desire to bring us rest. We love you, Lord, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we've got some questions. I'll give you probably 10 minutes this morning, seven to 10 minutes this morning. Um, here's the questions that I've got for you. Uh, what big things distract you from important things? So as serious or as silly as you want to make it. Uh, a little bit more about your life. Number two, uh, what blessings has God given you to enjoy in your life? 
So very similar to our prayers this morning. What, uh, what has God given you that is a blessing? And then lastly, what can you do to remember God's desire for you to rest in him? I think we have a tendency to work or to do or just to do the thing in front of us. What can we do to remember uh, that God's ultimate desire for you is that you would rest in and enjoy his presence?